Just Riley came over the house late last night. She told me Dylan Hinchy isn't DJ's real father. What? Zabel? Deacon Mark is the last call. Aaron McMenamin made. We're gonna question him right here. The house of God? Makes it harder for him to lie. We're looking for Deacon Mark. Is he in? What's going on? Ask your father. He lied to me. Where the hell do you even hear crap like that anyway? Why the hell are you calling her? I want to find out how this whole custody thing works. I want my son back because he deserves a lot better than you. I know what you've been through. And I know you're worth saving. All right. Hello, hello, hello. This is Killer Casting, and I am Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles, California. I cast for TV, features, video games, commercials. But most of my work in the past mm, seven years has been on crime shows, crime procedurals. So this is going to be a theme as we get back into Mayor of Easttown. Because I want to talk to the boys about my experience doing procedurals and why episode two almost had me tapping out, right? Anyway, uh, Beast, introduce yourselves, please. Hey, Brian A. Hill, also from Los Angeles. Hello, hello. Okay, I'm Dean Allen Laffin, and balancing up Brian Allen Hill, I am therefore offering up for the show my thin. Brian, what are you? Big fat opinions. I'm giving small thin opinions, and that's nah, all I've got. Come on, small thin opinions. No. Hilarious. Not the case. Your deeply researched opinions. Damn straight. You're a research guy. All right, y'all. So listen. So episode two, you know, I loved episode one. I was in. I was elated. Like, I love when you finish watching an episode and your soul is just like flying and my adrenaline is rushing. And But I was worried, like, you know, this has happened to me before, like with The Outsider and with a couple other shows that started out so strong. I was so passionate about and then just the story went off the rails and just seems, seems so inconsistent. And I was wondering if that's what was going to happen in episode two as I start watching it. Because episode two is really the meat and potatoes of most of my work. The scenes in there are all about interviewing suspects, telling people for the first time that somebody's died. Now, these are going to be the audition scenes, right, Brian, that if you're going to be casting for a show, these are the scenes, even if, if the character's got many, many scenes, these scenes of pain and realization and getting horrible news, these are going to be the scenes that we use with actors to audition with because we really want to be sniffing for any false note. You know, we're really looking for authenticity of the emotion and, you know, believability. I don't, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, especially in terms of like, uh, like interrogations mm -hmm. to me, that's like where you see the false notes, right? Because mm -hmm. actors, their impulse is to act the shit out of something and a perp or a suspect is, they're being impacted by the environment, which is the interrogation room, by the cops, by all of that. And that's what I want to see. Yeah. You know I, mean? I want to see how, like, somebody behaving like a suspect, you know what I mean, instead of, oh. like, acting a thing. I mean, for me, what I'm always looking for is that even if you did do the crime, you're not going to act like you're lying. No, no, no. That's, but, that's, that's what, oh, okay. but, but, but that's what I mean. Like, 
acting because like David Simon in, in the book Homicide, the, the detectives are, they all say, if somebody talks, you don't want to talk too much. You want to talk too little. People who are guilty will fall asleep in the box. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like there's behaviors that they look for that are contradictory that makes everybody guilty in the cop's mind. Oh, so what I'm talking about yeah. is the, is the realism of being in that high pressure environment, that high pressure situation. And if you're innocent, there's a reaction. If you're guilty and there's also a reaction. Mm -hmm. So it, it goes beyond just like acting the scene. That's what I want to see is I want to see like taking in the environment and how they, they interact with the, with the cops. So I think we're saying the same thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 Dean. You know any, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Dean, any thoughts? Well, not, not on the uh, on the casting side of things. A lot, lots more to say about the uh, the show itself, the episode you know two and three. We're going to talk about, but I, I think that I think the casting is great. Oh, the one thing I will say that it was I kept seeing these characters, and I'm thinking, damn, I know this character for or that I know that actor from somewhere, and we'll circle back to that. But it was funny that, that there was a couple of choices of casting that were actors that you wouldn't recognize or you would because you guys are in the game, but they, I had to actually look them up. And when I saw who they were, I'm like, Oh, of course. Mm. But then the rest of them were, you know, relatively unknown to me, although they might be well known in the U S for some shows, but yeah. Great. So let's just jump in and we'll kind of try to take it in chunks. So, you know, the begin first of all, the musical score to the show is so beautiful. I rewatched both of these episodes just before we logged on. And I, I was really taken like for the first time I, I was hearing the music and and really kind of marveling at the tone and how the sound designer has scored the series. Anyway, um, so here we are in the beginning of the episode, a few scenes that are all about a crime scene, right? And so as Dean knows, I'm going to be looking at how is Aaron's body placed on the rocks? Does she look like she was placed there? Does she look like she was pushed? She's on her back face up and she has her underwear on this very bright pair of underwear on, which I clocked right away. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not. One thing about that, Lisa, do, is, is there anything about the way she was posed in the river that struck you about earlier scenes well we first meet her she's on her back in her bedroom bingo she yeah. is in this exact same pose in the river as when she's on the bed so you know she's talking and saying you know i'm love you i'm going to miss you so much and we're wondering who the hell she's talking to and of course it turns out it's the baby but she's in the same pose in the river yeah and i went I, oh okay yeah. interesting i don't know what that means but i did clock it and i definitely clocked the orange panties because it's such a odd choice to make. I mean, because you could really see them, you know, they really showed up and you can see that if she had been sexually assaulted, it, it probably wasn't likely because her panties were still on, they were left on. So that stood out to me. Anything else before we, we jump, we jump ahead? Well, just on that point, and for, for listeners of Lisa's other pod, Real Crime Profile, Jim and uh, Laura, uh, Jim in particular, would take so much away from the fact that if the body was posed in what looked like a sexual assault, you know, that there'd been a sexual assault, but there hadn't, mm -hmm. then that as a profiler gives them a huge amount of information to say, well, you know, this wasn't that. So then therefore, what sort of a person and what would be their motivation to make it look like it was when it wasn't? So, right. Right, yeah. Right, right. So now we have Mare and two of her friends who know the father 
of Aaron, who's just such a piece of work, this father, Kenny. And at this point, I'm just suspecting everybody. You know, at this point, it's like they're, they're these two guys, I guess they're cousins of Kenny's. You know, they, they walk up to Mayor. They're ready to go in and tell Kenny the bad news about Aaron's murder. And I'm just already suspecting both of them. I, I can't help it. Right. I'm just looking for some kind of clues to um, their reaction anyway. So they go in. So what did you think about this scene, Brian, where Mayor goes in and sits down with Kenny and gives him the bullet, basically tells him that his daughter has been murdered and. What did you think of his reaction in, in that scene? Well, just because of the vibe of the first episode mm-hmm. around the dinner table with the mac and cheese mm-hmm. and the fact that we see him come in at the end of episode one, we see him come in hammered early in the morning. And the fact that he's saying like, oh, no, I the fact that he lies makes I, me suspect him. And I already have like a real incest vibe from this guy already. So his reaction feels very sociopathic. I mean, like he's going through the motions, like he's reacting the way he thinks a father would grieve, but it feels very forced. It feels very... Yeah, that's what I felt too. It doesn't feel authentic. But I couldn't tell, Brian, if that was a choice or if that was perhaps an actor limitation. And I hate to say that because I just didn't, I I wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure. And you, they certainly have set set him up in the beginning to be such a bully and, and not a great father that his sort of 180, it just, these scenes to me need to have a gut check. These scenes need to have a shock, like where you see the news go through somebody's body. And this just, it just fell flat for me. Well, but, but they're, but they're setting up, I mean, they're setting up this kind of hyper masculinity. The fact, and, and the thing I find also very interesting is like the role that cousins play, mm-hmm. right? You know, like Mare's <laughs> cousin, you know, like Mare's cousin is yeah, there yeah. in episode one. She is encouraged to bring his cousins to, to get the bad news. This, this kind of like intermingling of families is, is, is a theme, I think, yeah, is part of yeah. this show. And all the guys have this kind of like rough stoicism that I think plays. That's why, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's definitely. why I don't mind. That's why I don't mind. The, I don't think it's an actor limitation. I think okay. it is a decided choice. Yeah. I mean, I was on the fence, but I, yeah, I went with it. It's fine. Yeah. Hi there, listeners. You know, we love putting the pod together, and we certainly hope that you enjoy hearing from us, but we would love to hear from you. How do we do this, you say? Well, if you visit our website, killercastingpod.com, you'll see a widget there for a little service called SpeakPipe, and you can record a message and send it to us as an audio file. So whether it's a question about an episode we've already done, maybe you've got a suggestion about a topic or a film or a series that we could jump into, we would love to hear from you, and you can be on the pod. We'll hear from you soon. Bye. Uh, the mayor goes to, she looks through Aaron's room. And, and again, this is a classic, Dean, this is like a classic scene right out of Criminal Minds, you know, looking into, oh, trying uh, to do a victimology. Uh, look, which, uh, not, yeah. Go ahead. Yep. And, and not only that, and I, I actually, it smacked me in the face and I stopped and made a note when she walks into the bedroom. Two things. Number one, it just reinforced, if you look at the colors and you look at what's in the room, she's in a child's room. Right. Mm-hmm. You spoke last week, Lisa, about Erin's or, or about the baby's. Uh, I think you called him a baby daddy. 
right? <laughs> Saying yes. that he was a baby himself. So she's yeah. in Erin's room and she's in the room of a teenager, right? She, mm-hmm. it, could be, it looks like a 14 or 13-year-old. There's pink everywhere. There's this, that. So that was the first thing that hit me. And then the second thing, as she was walking around and it, it's, you know, she's silent, she's by herself, she's lifting up and she's looking at the mirror and all the stuff that's pasted around it. And then you clearly clock the ear treatment for the kid and the $1,700 but I was instantly reminded of Clarice Starling walking around Frederica Bimmel's room in mm. Silence of the Lambs yeah, and just looking, looking for something, right? And, of course, it, famously that's where Clarice got her insight and the breakthrough in, in the film and led to the third act, but that happened with Mare. But they were the two things that struck me, that the child's room and I wondered if it was homage to Dylan's, but, yeah sort of lifting through the detritus of of her life. Yeah, and this is what really, I mean, what Laura and Jim will tell you, this is victimology. We try to get to know the victim as much as you can so you know you can try to figure out who is in her orbit. Was she a high-risk target? Was she a low-risk target? There's all kinds of things that they're trying to find out. One interesting line that her father, Kenny, says that he's certain that it was Dylan, the baby daddy, who murdered her. And he says he never wanted her to have that baby. Now, if this were real life, I know it would trigger Jim immediately that he said that baby instead of calling his grandson DJ or, you know, saying anything else but that sort of flat dismissive line depersonalized depersonalized yeah Yeah, distancing that's what Jim would say all right this next scene i love so this is the scene where you you meet sozy bacon is playing carrie who's the mother the ex junkie whatever mother of drew and you see this very strange play date with jean smarts there's the grandma i love jean she sips from a juice box i thought that was hilarious and then siobhan's there She's the auntie of Drew and David Denman's there as the grandfather. And they're all just kind of talking to Sozie and trying to get a sense on, does she have her shit together? And she drops the bomb that she wants because she does have her shit together and all it's missing is her son. I thought she's great. I don't know if you guys know her work. Mm-mm. Obviously, you know her parents. Yeah, do you work. know? Uh, I was just about to mention that. So uh, you guys know who, who her parents are, but the last name Bacon's a bit of a giveaway, but she is, in fact, the daughter of uh, Kevin Bacon and uh, Kyra, Kyra Cedric, 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 I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 And she's Cedric, been, yeah. her career mm. has been percolating along really nicely. She was in 13 Reasons Why. I really liked her. I think she's, she's auditioned a bunch of times for Emily, I'm pretty sure. But I loved her in this. She just, to me, seemed completely authentic you know had walked the walk and was getting her life back together but still had that fragility to her i just loved it i thought that was a great scene and Mm. you guys just jump in as i smash through all right here's a scene that i felt very confused about so we see mare interrogating dylan right and i was i was very confused by his reaction because it was just so detached. I mean, even if you find out somebody that you, you know, you don't get along with or or you have estrangement from is dead, I just it seemed very cold to me this actor's affect. I don't know. I, again, it was just it's a classic scene that I've seen. I have coached many, many times to get the actor to where they need to be. And everybody reacts differently when you hear that somebody's died. I mean, it's just all over the place. But there just wasn't that gut check. There wasn't that shock. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, um, I <laughs> yeah, now you go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, I mean, 
to me, it's, it's again, this masculine world that they're a part of. I mean, we're talking about Rust Belt. I don't think that there's like ready access to their emotions. The problem that actually the problem that I have with, with Dylan is not so much Dylan, but like his parents, it doesn't make any sense that these kind of are together. It makes sense. Like Aaron's dad, he fits in the world, but these two people don't fit in the world that Dylan is a part of, right. That kind of like coldness or detachment. And I I really do think like there is a, I I wouldn't call it, I don't want to take the easy way out and say like it's a generational thing, but I really don't think that Dylan as character, I don't think he does give a shit Mm. about Mm. Aaron at all. Like why would he have any kind? I mean, he watched her get beat up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's something Mm. that was just so passive about him in the scene. Like, again, even if to know that somebody was murdered, I mean, that must be that's such a big shock. You know, a man down the street from me on my little block that he was murdered a couple weeks ago. And it's very, I never, I didn't know this man, you know, but it's, it's really, it does really shake you up. And I just felt like that gut check wasn't there or the panic about, I didn't do, I don't know the way it was played. Mm. I was a little, I don't know. It just didn't click for me in in my gut. Uh, It's just for me. I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't a problem for me, but I wondered why they made it that way because in spite of the fact that they'd become estranged, at some point he must have had feelings for her before they then had sex and had a baby together. And there was probably mm-hmm. a period pre-birth where, you know, it was all lovey-dovey and, oh, wow, we're going to be parents. How cool is this? Right. So there's got to, there's got to be some emotional impact there that when you when he finds out that she's dead and, and that they're talking about uh, that, yeah, he's just completely cold. Like it's like uh, – she's talking about uh, a tortoise, mm-hmm. right? There's no human connection, almost like he's a sociopath. I don't know why he was he was written to be th- that way. But so it clocked me, but it didn't bother me. But I just, I'm curious where, where that's going. What does this mean? But I, but I think we're making some assumptions about Dylan, like that mm-hmm. just because they had set, we're, we're forgetting the teenage boy mind too. Sex being the, ultimate goal right Mm -hmm. and yes there are plenty of teenage boys who get into relationships and have sexual exploration with their teenage partners but there are some who lose respect who lose respect for them right and if Mm. so and and it's like and if then there's a there's a child now involved then that that girl then becomes an anchor Mm-hmm. And a point yes. of resentment. And, yes. and I think that right. I think that, okay. that is yep. you're right. That mm-hmm. is a potential for who this kid is. Right. So I do like the choice. Like in a lifetime movie, what would happen is he would suddenly realize how much he loved Aaron and he would be crying and all that. So I, I don't I'm not saying that that's what I'm looking for. It's just that gut check of shock that I, I I'm looking for. But that's just because right. of my background. Anyway, all right. So I, I want to, biggest thing I want to talk about now is the introduction of, of Evan Peters as the detective from, I don't even Zabel. know. What, Zabel. I don't know even where he came no, from. No, no, his name's Zabel. Yeah. Yeah. Zabel. Yeah. 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 And I had the same, it took me a while to sink into it because I see him as Evan Peters. He's always the crazy maniac. He, he just plays disturbed so well and has for so long that to see him in this very high and tight 
black and white, almost a G-men role. I had a hard time at first. I was like, no, his face looks like somebody who's been, I, I don't know. There was something that I couldn't get into at first and it got better, but I don't know. Do you have any, any thoughts about that? Well, I, I actually didn't know of him before. Mm-hmm. So as usual, this uh, listeners will uh, will notice a recurring theme with <laughs> me is that I just don't see as many American TV uh, shows and um, uh, series as as certainly my uh, co-hosts do and, and perhaps others in America do. So I didn't know of him. And the first thing that struck me about him was, you know, he'd been talked up as the, uh, the chief says, we're going to bring in this hotshot detective from out of town who, you know, famous murder. And he walks through and he's he's young he's goofy looking he's almost Jim Carrey-esque and mm. I'm like you know he's got the slightly bucky teeth he's smiling he's he's got he's a little bit Dale Cooper out of um out of Twin Peaks he's he's so preppy and smiley and happy and mm-hmm. you know he, he walks into the room and he holds it he holds out his hand hi you know I'm I'm looking for you your um your mayor and he holds out his hand and she just totally ghosts his hand like bam right <laughs> and he looks at him and tells him to take his um you know his briefcase off her desk yeah she's yeah. just she's having freeze- a bar of him freezing him right oh, out yeah. totally freezing him out but he just keeps plowing all um what's what's that there's a famous american character i don't know but you know just like a really good guy and i'm just gonna keep chugging away and he knows that she doesn't want him to be there but he just keeps being him uh, yeah I, yeah I was like, okay. There's a scene where they go and they're going to um, arrest Brianna because they realize that she, they find the videotape where she kicked the shit out of Aaron. And uh, that really pisses Mare off when she sees this video. And she's so cold about it. She goes to the most public place that she can to arrest Brianna, you know, in front of her parents, in front of all these patrons. And that sort of vindictive streak, I thought was such an interesting way to go with this. Hey, Patty. Hey, Mayor. Hey, table for two? No. Uh, is Brianna waitress in tonight? Yeah. Can you get her for me, please? Sure. What for? Just bring her out here. Okay. Are you friends with these people? Yeah. Should we maybe do this outside? Away from the staff and the guests watching? She beat the shit out of Aaron in a forest full of kids. Let him watch. your hands behind your back what the hell are you talking about you're being placed under arrest for assault <laughs> what mayor let's go brianna we're we'll talking down the stage. what what she had to come with us hey mayor. hey hey whoa 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 mayor, what's what happening she calm down whoa, whoa, what did whoa, she do whoa, mayor? Whoa, 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 whoa. what's happening all right sir i need happening? you to back away i don't know please. who the fuck you are buddy but hey relax, can we just can relax. we do this outside of my dining room please mayor she just knows what's going on Tony. she knows all right let's go let's go let's go let's go Telling me to relax. Kill my dog. Get the fuck off me. You're making a bitch. Just relax. All right, all right, all right. I got it. We'll be in touch. Man! Mm, The way that he reality checked it, saying, okay, I was just going to say that she's uh, watching the video and learning that 
uh, what's her name? Sorry, that uh, Siobhan was there. Mm-hmm. It that echoed of promising young woman, you know, when she discovers mm-hmm. Bo Burnham was there as well, and she and she's but her reaction is mm-hmm. totally different. But at this point, and in the stuff that follows, and in the interview as well, and we'll get to that. At this point, I think Mare is really starting to she's starting to lose control, and Zabel is Zabel is there to see that he's he's saying, "Do you really think we should do this right here and do it in the restaurant?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, she wants to inflict maximum embarrassment, maximum pain, and she's she's just in a rage, and she she there's no way she's not going to do that, right?" And I mean, yeah, uh, she's starting to cross yeah, these lines, she, she, yeah. Oh yeah, she's starting to yeah cross lines, and uh, there are more to cross later. But yeah, she's. But it struck me then the way that she, get, she conducted herself. It's like, no, that's not how it would happen, right? Professionally, you might go there. Can we have a word? Yeah, can you leave? We'll need you to come down to the station, but keep it all quiet. But every customer knows that Dad's incensed about the way that Mayor does it, and it's almost like it's counterproductive, and that's not what, in inverted terms, a proper police detective would go about doing that because it's just not helping the case. Brian, anything? Well, I, I mean, I love Evan Peters. And I remember the first thing I ever saw him in was a summer replacement on ABC called The Days, where he played the eldest son. It's the first time I saw him. And even then, like, uh-huh. he was fantastic. But he looks almost identical still. I mean, like, his hair was kind of shaggy back then. Mm-hmm. I, he just plays, because here's the thing. Allegedly, there's 10 years between them mm-hmm. because he, well, we'll find out in third yeah. episode, right? Yeah. There's 10 years between them. And it's like, and that gulp looks far greater to me. Like he just looks too young to fill these shoes. That being said, his performance is really fucking subtle. Like yeah. he's got he's got the dialect down. And to me, especially in this conversation that we've had about the males of this town, two things about, about his character I think stand out is he is the more standard male, the more kind of emotionally connected male in opposition to the males of this town, mm-hmm. right? In comparison, they are in opposition. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is like, I love how he reacts whenever it becomes known that Mayor is connected to yet another suspect. <laughs> right. Right, right. Another, it's like he recognized as a detective, this person is going to complicate this case. There's no objectivity. Yeah. There's no, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like he is, he's deferential, but it's like, but he recognizes, geez, this is a inbred fucking town. He just said with with the kind of like, just the looks, just the little looks. They're just so subtle. They're great. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. Sorry. I just want to say that's Mm -hmm. spot on because when, uh, when mayor says, okay, we're going to go down to the church and, you know, uh, talk to the, talk to the deacon and talk to the, talk to the pastor. And he's like, oh, okay. And she says, oh yeah. He he's my cousin, and she, I think they were walking, and he just looks at her sideways with a little bit of an eye eyebrow raise, and then says nothing and keeps going. It's yeah, perfect example, Brian. Yeah. There's, I think that there must be a scene missing that must have got edited out because there's a little bit of a jump that maybe didn't seem like a big deal. But to me, I really noticed it in that she never checks on where her daughter, her own daughter is. And you get her like finally, finally calling and calling and not getting Siobhan to pick up. But, but before she sees the tape, it's like, 
if it were me, I would be immediately, if there's a dead girl in basically the same age as my daughter, who my daughter knew, I would be like, where is my daughter? Did she make it home last night? And that giving Siobhan the news that this happened, I just feel like there's like a scene missing because the next, the, the next time that you see Mare with Siobhan, it just felt like a, something else had happened mm. before that scene. It just, it didn't quite track for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mean, you mean the same way she says, she finally comes home and she says, oh, I'm really pissed off at you. And, and uh, yeah, was that the scene that you made? Yeah, that, because yeah, if, right. if I were going to mm. talk to my mom and somebody, one of my cohorts had, had been murdered, you would be like, Mom, oh my God, did you hear about Siobhan? Or, or I mean, Aaron, or tell me, do you know who killed? I mean, there wasn't that realization, that sort of coming together with the information. It felt missing for me. Just on the topic of um, Siobhan and, and, you know, with me throwing in my little nuggets of trivia, when I first saw Siobhan, again, that she was one of the characters. I'm like, I know this person from somewhere. And when I looked her up and I'm scrolling through, you know, her previous movies and then I went, bing. So she was the young daughter. She's an Aussie actress, by the way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. here's the thing, born on January 1st, 2001. So there's a birth date you wouldn't forget. <laughs> but um, she played the young daughter in Shane Black's, what I call his comeback movie, The Nice Guys, with um, Russell Crowe and um, uh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, which is, mm-hmm. a, I love that movie. It's just so good. And she's so sassy in that film and so terrific in it. But that was, you know, I don't know, seven, eight years ago it was shot. So I that's I didn't clock her. She's grown a lot. You know, she was maybe 13 or something at that time and 20 now. But I finally was like, ah, that's where I know her from, right? Yeah, that was she. And I think she made the decision to cut her hair that way, which I think is so fantastic. It just... It just makes Mm -hmm. her look so different than everybody else, and I just think it fits so well. Hey, folks, if you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to give us a review. Big thumbs up in your listening app of choice. Plus, if you know someone else who'd like the show, send them a link because sharing is caring, right? Now, back to the show. There's a scene that happens in a pediatrician's office where Mayor goes to talk about her grandson and, and some twitches that he's starting to have. I thought this was such a great scene because the way that she was able to reveal the backstory, you know, she's just there to give a medical history about her grandson. But in talking about the medical history, the pediatrician asks enough questions that you start to, Mayor just kind of goes there and she can because the pediatrician is not a therapist, I think she feels like she can talk a little bit more about her son and taking his own life and and what she'd been through. I, I thought that was a really cool scene. Mm-hmm. What do you oh, think? Oh, very that? powerful scene. I thought that was one of the best scenes in the in in the episode, and the way that she just deflected so much. Like she's there talking to the pediatrician, but the pediatrician can see that Mary's damaged and is when she learns you know that the son you know my son's dead and mayor is just too tough for her own good this doctor is saying you know do you, do you talk to someone and she's just cutting her off and cutting her off verbally and with eye contact and she refused to take any help it was i thought that was a brilliant scene and i think we'll probably talk about this with episode three as well mayor is a product of this town. And because it is so, the male energy, there is this kind of toxicity. It's like she has, she's absorbed that in order to exist 
in the role that she has as a detective, right? Yeah. It's like, she's got to go toe to toe. We see that in the Italian restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's why she's make, making those choices because she's got a chip on her shoulder, the size mm, of a log. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, she's got to be just as rough, just as tough, just as emotionally detached. And I, and I just feel like we're seeing her spin because mm-hmm. she's not being authentic to who she is, right? Right. And she's losing control of things yeah. and she can't stand mm. that. What I love about Kate Winslet's performance is that, you know, yeah, she's got this sort of persona of this crotchety cop who's kind of world weary, but it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. And you kind of start to feel where it comes from, where this armor mm. comes from, where this world weariness, this, this burden she has comes from and how she keeps fighting. She keeps trying to do the right thing. She's struggling to do the right thing. And I mean, I just, I just love when I can sort of peel the onion back or just see so many different layers to what she's doing. It's just not just a gruff, you know, cop persona. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. It's not flat. And and the thing Mm -hmm. that struck me about that was throughout this episode and, and particularly into three and then course the conclusion of three is amazing and in fact i don't know where they go from the from there but anyway yeah she she just keeps she starts out world weary from the get-go but then she just keeps getting more and more psychically is put on her shoulders and she keeps bearing it and keeps bearing it but you know there's got to be a cost you can see some of that leaking out and i also then started to wonder at some point she has to break right? At some point she has to break. No one can just keep taking on that stuff. And she is shattered by the fact that she hasn't been able to solve the disappearance of, of the girl from 12 mm-hmm. months ago. She And she's pissed off that she hasn't been able to do that because then she has to suffer the indign- indignity as she would, as she sees it, of having this outside detective brought in, and just all these things keep piling up and piling up and piling up. But yeah, I, I, she's going to crack sooner or later. So there's one trope that they did that really almost made me just turn off the TV. And it's the trope of late at night, you get into your car and suddenly there's somebody in the backseat with a gun. I mean, we have seen that so many times, so many times that probably most of us already check the fucking back seat before you get into yeah. a car. I mean, I just, oh, that just was like, oh my God, this is such a procedural. You, ugh, you could even you know? see that coming from from the from the framing of the initial shot and then the yeah. slight left tracking and you're going, as the camera's just sort of tracking slightly left, slightly more, you're going, there's someone in the back seat. Even I could work that out and I know nothing. So, well, yeah. I think it was in the, I saw the scene in the preview at the end of episode one because I watched the previews, like, yeah. coming soon or whatever. So there was no shock or surprise in that. And it was like, okay, well, Dad, what are you going to do? Are you really going to really? And so yeah. it's like, it's... <laughs> it just lost me there. I mean, when he makes him drive and then goes and shoots him, for some reason, I'm just like, this is just not feeling at all motivated. And I started to think, is this an actor issue I'm I'm getting? Because nothing is seeded in this character that makes you think he would care enough to do this. Or But that's a, but that's a story thing. That's not the, the actor didn't write it. That was part of the, the story. No, I know, but I... I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like if it were played differently, I don't know what. I, yeah, in that part of the story, I just 
was not not a big fan of. So so we've got all these suspects. We've got a deacon who's a suspect. We've got these cousins who are suspects. There's all these suspects being trotted out. And then what did you think of this date that she she meets Richard at this book signing and he's surrounded by a gaggle of eligible ladies? I don't know. I mean, I don't even, I, I don't even know if I liked that or not, if it really worked for me. He's inviting her to this thing. Why is he going to treat her like this? And why invite her at all? I mean, he's a, he's an author. He knows the kind of attention he's going to be getting from these ladies in this small town. He's going to seem like somebody so sophisticated and so stranger from a strange land. Yeah. Although it did generate the best line of the entire episode when she's leaving and he, she, you know, she's in the valet car and he convinces her to get out and she finally agrees. So she turns off the key and she gets out and without even looking at him with, them, with a very flat monotone, she says, you're not getting laid tonight. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Burst out right. laughing. Just, I just wanted to back up a little bit into mm-hmm. about the 38-minute mark, which was a great scene between her and Zabel where – He's coming in. Uh, Dudley Do Right was the you know the mm-hmm. name I was trying to there remember. That's who it reminded me of. And so he comes in and he's trying to press the reset reset button with a you know, and he's been doing the thing with the coffee and the coke and the oh, gotcha, you owe me a coke. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hey, I got you. Oh, I see you have a coffee. That must be mine because I've got one for you. And he's trying to build all these bridges. Yeah. So he comes in and he, he's talking to her, and she is intentionally she's reading a piece of paper, she refuses to even give him her attention and her eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just the continuation of, of the way that she's been treating him. Oh, one and, thing I've got to – oh, sorry, Dan, go ahead. Yeah, and, and then I just thought it was a really piece of interesting writing that he just keeps plugging away and he says – he puts out his hand, he introduces himself. Hi, you know, I'm Detective Zabel, and and she mm-hmm. rolls her eyes, and I think I think she shakes his hand – and then he sits down and he says a little talk, da 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 da. And then he says, "Come on, you know, yeah, let's let's do let's do this. Teamwork is dream work, mm-hmm. right?" And he says it so earnestly, she actually laughs, right? And she laughs and she finally thaws a little bit with him, and she's like, "Okay, all right." And then I think she had the cell phone records, and they start discussing that. And you can see that she's just thawed a little bit about, as in thawed, defrosted, a, yeah. a, a, mm-hmm. a little with him. And he's finally made a breakthrough with this irrepressibly optimistic, let's just get, uh, get into this kind of thing. Uh, I, I thought it was a terrifically written and acted scene. Yep. And then, then, it went, then it went on to the book signing. The show does keep trying to punctuate some humor into it, which I can appreciate. Otherwise, it gets so, so dark. But it comes in the weirdest moments, like where mm. they, they interview all the kids who were at the, the woods that night that Aaron was murdered. And they just kind of go kid by kid by kid interviewing them. And, and they're all such typical teenagers. Like they're kind of, I don't know, the, the responses are just... Mm. you know, kind of maddening. And at first it was kind of annoying to me, but then I remember because when I was 13, I witnessed an attempted murder. And I remember when the police came and all of the kids, because many of us had seen this happen and the police asking these kids, you know, asking us what happened. And we are all so stupid and inarticulate. And I just remember this one girl sitting across from me. uh, And I just remember staring at her braces and how she was chewing gum and like telling the cop. Yeah. And then he took the knife and then it's just, I don't know, something about it 
I like I got it, but the humor in that moment, I just mm. it's just interesting that they're kind of doing those little little pings and punctuations. Mm-hmm. Mm. The um, other the the other great line was uh, when uh, Zabel bumps into Siobhan and they have this sort of awkward conversation sort of thing. Oh, so you're uh, working with my mom, huh? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah how's that, how's uh, that going? And then h- how's that going? He's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, he's sort of evasive. And then he says, uh, so uh, any any tips? And she just looks at him and says, lower your expectations. Right, right, <laughs> like, right, right. Bam, what a line. <laughs> so the cliffhanger is Kenny goes and shoots Dylan as he's running through the woods. And then the big bombshell that Jess has that Dylan isn't really the baby's father. Dun, dun, dun. And it might be Frank Sheehan, Mare's Mare's ex-husband. And you see David Denman, shot David Denman picking up a bunch of tricycles. I don't know. For me, I was like, really? This, really? I don't know. Something, I was so disappointed by this turn of events. But episode three, I loved, and it kind of reeled me back in. Anything, Brian? Yeah, that kind of revelation felt like a red herring is yeah. what it felt like. It felt mm. like, ah, yeah. here's a turn that is not going to pay off just because yeah. of its placement. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you mean as in it's in ep two? Yeah, the, the, yeah, the yeah, episode, right. I think the audiences have watched enough of these kinds of shows to be mm-hmm. more sophisticated and to realize like, oh, that's that's not what it appears to be. Mm. And of course, it's going to be so easily proved one way or the other by by DNA, uh, by DNA test. But again, with Broadchurch, like this is the insane thinking, though. Okay, he's not guilty of that, but he's guilty. Mm. In the same way that we all have this feeling, like okay, the cousins look guilty. They may not be guilty of this fucking thing, but they're probably guilty of something tangential, right? Mm. Like there's no there's no innocent people. Mm-hmm. in this world right mm-hmm. so now what the episodes are going to do is place everybody in their guilty places yeah right yeah that's what we're having to figure out it's like okay well they're guilty but what are they guilty of frank sure. is definitely guilty of something and if we're going to start talking about episode three mm-hmm. let's do it there is that when he does go down to the station to provide the sample and to do the interview he grabs his jacket from his fiance who brushes by him we see her brush by him yeah. and walk away. And we see when Mare has, again, that public confrontation, there's an expression that she has when this disclosure is happening, mm-hmm. right? That is so wrought. It's like, oh, something's going on. Yeah. Mm. So this episode is just all about working the case, getting more and more clues, figuring out more about where Aaron was really killed because they figure out that she wasn't killed at that creek that she was transported there. And all that. And then there's this 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 other storyline all about Drew and the custody fight that's coming. Oh man. There are a couple of scenes that the women are just, I think, are just killing it. You know, there's this scene between Jean Smart, her mom, and Mare having, and and Jean mm. is trying to say, look, Carrie is gonna get Drew one way or the other, and Mare cannot handle it. And they just go at each other in mm. such it was just such a way of people who really know each other and know the wounds and can rip those scars open. That scene was amazing. Um, Sorry. What was that? What's the actress's name that plays her mom? Jean Smart. Oh, how she's just incredible. Everything mm-hmm. she's in, she's just brilliant. Like when Richard came to pick up Mayor uh, to take her out to, I was, no, that's, that's later in this app, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they go out on a I'm, date and she's yeah, okay, just we'll like to that. so yeah, flirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 no, anyway, yeah, yeah, yes, she is. But she uh, she just was like one of those uh, roles that I just went, whoo, every time she's on camera, you can't, you can't stop. And I think it was... It was in right at the start of that when um, I forget what happened. Somebody came in to say, I need to talk to you. Oh, it's when the, I think they tell her about Frank. Yeah, and Laurie um, comes in. She mm-hmm. just looks at her mum. Yeah, Laurie comes in wearing her vintage Dave Dave Matthews. I noticed t-shirt. that, Dave Matthews. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, she says, um, yeah, I need to talk to you. And, and her mum's sitting at the table and, and she says to Mayor in private, and Mayor just turns to her mother and says, that's your cue to fuck off. <laughs> Why are you telling him you might have to go live with his mom? Because he might have to go live with his mom. Shit, mom. Jesus fucking Christ. He's four years old, mom. We don't know what's going to happen, all right? Don't be telling him stuff like that. He's lived in this house his entire life, mom. That's why we need to prepare him. Otherwise, he'll feel like the ground has just fallen out beneath him. I called Kathy Dryers today. You did what? She works over the Child and Youth Services. Oh I know where be... Kathy Dryers works. Why the hell are you calling her? Because I want to find out how this whole custody thing works. It's not she your place, told Mom. Me, all right? has a, a, a place to it's stay. It's so fucking out of line for you to be telling him stuff like that, Mom. Men's. Please, there's a mother! She's the mother. She'll get custody. And there's not a damn thing you or I can do about it. I'll figure something out. What's there to figure out? Hello? You're not his guardian. I right? know that, Mom. You don't just say Stay that. Stay out of it. Hey. Okay? Understand me? Hey, hey. Hey. Hi. Want a beer? Sure. Picking up on a weird energy in here. Yeah. It's the energy of betrayal. Oh, cut it out, Mayor. Jesus Christ. Can I talk to you for a minute? That's your cue to fuck off. Good luck. She's in one of her giant asshole moods tonight. You know what? Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you too. Oh my god! Wow, those lines How cold were just that? daggers. But they're clearly two right. two lionesses that know how to circle each other and know how to how to deal with it. I thought that was just a great, great scene. And you can feel that's where Mary, you start to feel her getting more and more desperate. Like this is really going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I just want to talk about the scene that she has with Carrie. This is, it's a short scene, but wow, what a powerful, powerful scene with Mare and Carrie, her nemesis, right? Carrie, who's going to take away her grandson. Um, and just, it was so, I mean, for me, the emotional, Geiger counter in that scene I thought was incredible because at first they're kind of calm they're trying to stay calm and um Sosie's trying to say yeah you know I have my life together and almost like she's she wants Mare's approval and the minute that Mare is like nope I will say anything to get you from taking custody then Sosie just comes at her and just just stabs her with her words about her son. You know, you, Kevin always hated you. Kevin wouldn't want you to be in such a short amount of time. It just went from zero to 150 miles an hour. I just, mm. I love that how Sosie exploded and, and just the pain that she's, that she showed. I thought it was great. But you see mm. that, but, but here's the thing that 
the contrast between the two women, like Sosie embodying, again, a diametrically opposed energy that one might consider more feminine. And Mare is like ruthless. She's absolutely ruthless. And even when she says all the things that Kevin hated you and despite, Mare doesn't give her the satisfaction of any kind of reaction. Yeah. She just, to me, it's like she exists in the world with these men who also don't have a kind of emotionally intelligent response right. to what's happening around them. Yeah. I mean, you also get the sense that Mare, Mare has thought these thoughts before. She she knows that her son probably hated her and it's and that words are cutting her, but she's not going to show it. I just thought that was a phenomenal, phenomenal scene. Mm. Just from a point of camera work, I thought it was mm -hmm. cool too. The, uh, it was, as I recall, it was a, a combination of medium reverses and the two shot that are outside on the, what do you call it, park bench or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And yeah, the yeah, picnic table. And there's Mayor saying, no, you can't have him because you're an addict. And as I recall, Sosie's dragging on a cigarette. And then every time they cut to Mayor, she's vaping. And so they were kind of <laughs> mirror images of each other. I'm looking at the mm -hmm. both of them going, well, you know, they're, they're, Mayor's saying, I'm so much different than you. And, you know, you're so different from me. And so you're, you're so bad. But. Mm -hmm. Physically, they, they looked like they had more in common than they – if you had the sound off, you'd think that they were more in common than not. Anyway, you definitely get a sense. I don't. It's not really something that, you, that anybody can teach you in acting, but you definitely get a sense that these two women have a history together. Just the way that they're holding each other, kind of the way that they're testing each other out. I felt that history. I felt everything that had gone on from uh, – the suicide to teen pregnancy or, or whatever had gone on. Uh, you could just feel it. It just felt really palpable. And I love that. I went back and I looked at the end of episode one and the beginning mm -hmm. of episode two, the crime scene mm -hmm. to cross-reference where Kenny was ultimately found. And it's, it's the same Creek. It's by, mm -hmm. you know, there's the, the overpass. I mean, it's the same spot. He's, yeah. he is splayed out in nearly an identical way. Yeah. And my first thought was like, why or how did he know to go there? Mm -hmm. He wasn't and privy to that. I mean, he didn't go to the crime scene, or at least we didn't see him go to the crime scene. He was just told that she was killed, right? And that the cousins kind of knew to go there as well. I didn't notice that until I watched it the second time, Brian, but you're right. You know, it is an echo of how, and I wasn't sure if it was the same spot or not, but he was definitely in a similar position, crammed into the rock the same way. But I was thinking, if that's really this crime scene, where's all the yellow tape? I mean, they can't possibly be done with the crime scene yet. So I wasn't, I'm like, well, maybe that isn't, I don't know. I was, I was definitely confused. Just looking, I mean, maybe I've got it wrong, but looking at the angle of that overpass, I think it's the same spot. Yeah. Right. I think you could you know, be right, for sure. All right. Listeners can rewind and check out whether uh, Brian's pinged that correctly or not. That'll be, and I know I will be. Okay. Favorite scene, maybe of all time, is the scene in the bar where Mary's sitting there drinking and Zabel comes stumbling in just drunk. I have never seen such an authentic – I've rarely seen such an authentic drunk scene. I was going to ask you about that because yeah, I was just agreed. so struck. I'm going, I've seen some, yeah, we've all seen such shitty drunk scenes. Mm -hmm. And sorry to jump in on there, Lisa, but I just no, can't yeah. believe you brought that up because most famously, Nicole Kidman in that terrible Eyes Wide Shut 
has the most ridiculous, which is a terrible movie, terrible stain on on Stanley's legacy. But anyway, she's got this ridiculous drunk thing. But as I'm watching it, I'm loving the hell out of the um, out of the scene. But at one point, I just popped out for a minute and went, "That's a fucking good drunk scene. That looks really authentic." Almost too good. Yeah, down to the <laughs> the shot with the dribble, getting most of the alcohol in his gullet. But I mean, like he he did spill some as he was going up. Spilled as it was coming down, like it was really. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and his his speech was so slurry. I had actually had to go back and turn on the subtitles because I miss. I, I could not understand what he was saying <laughs> when he was saying why he was there for a high school reunion. I was like, what is he saying? But just the way he was so blurry and slurry, and just I don't know, Brian. There was also there was he had you know his droopiness of his eyes and kind of the swaying, but there was almost this sense of. When you've had a lot to drink and it's like you're almost about to fall asleep or you're burping or you can just it was just like a physical sensation that I was having watching yeah. him. Yeah, there was a visceral thing like as, as I was watching it was like, oh, yeah, I've been there. And it was you can tell when somebody's playing that kind of standard television drunk. Right. Which is just yep. like, oh, so hackneyed. He was really like down to the and it, and again it's a function of the writing too but that kind of feeling out like hey yeah you, you and me <laughs> you look really yeah you look really good <laughs> like there's that kind of subtext yeah. of like i'd rather just kind of stay here but it's like me okay i'm going the mm. whole excuse me yeah i mean he he was still self-possessed enough he wasn't so out of his gourd that he was all over the place but he was still all over the place Uh, can we get one more for the milady? And uh, I'll do one of those. And um, I'll do a shot of Jameson. Thank you. So, how was it, the uh, reunion? Uh, it was good. It was... Uh, Pretty awful. My ex was there. Almost ex-wife. She uh <laughs> she called her off two weeks before the wedding. But what are you gonna do? I'm sorry, Zabel. That's um uh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Here's to, uh, to, uh, peanuts. I still, I still don't know what happened, you know? I woke up one morning and she goes, nope, I don't love with you anymore. Okay. Let me put my bagel down. You know what I mean? I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm getting to that age, right? Forgive me, but I'm like, I'm getting to the age where I'm starting to look at my life and I'm going, well, here's what I thought it would be. And. Here's what it actually is. 
Am I making any fucking sense? No. I always imagined I'd be a cop, so life around me I didn't expect to fall apart so spectacularly. Sorry about your son. But you were a good mother. No. No, I wasn't. And the way that his story about his fiance <laughs> yeah. comes out, I just thought his timing with it, the pace that he told it was like a bob and weave kind of a, I don't know, like if the bar felt like it was holding him up too, yeah. which I don't know, there's was, there was so many, a lot of nuances that I was seeing. Yeah. I'm like, this is genius. I mean, yeah. it was just Agreed. great. Yeah, it was a, a great scene. Uh, were you about to move on, Lisa, or did to another scene? Yeah, I was just like hitting the the major kind of milestones in the scene. Uh, so uh, you know, so he he reveals himself to mm. her, and he tells her that the words are all his and about him, but they are in my mind. I was watching it going, well, this is written for me. Where he said, "I thought I was going to get married to you know my beautiful fiance." And then that went away. Well, of course, Mayor got divorced. And then he said, now here I am, and I didn't think I was going to have this life. I didn't think my life was going to be like this, but it is. And she's not saying a word at this point, right? But the camera is cutting backwards and forwards between the two of them. And what he's saying about himself is that's Mayor as well. She she didn't plan to be where she is. Right, right, right. But, I mean, I just really enjoyed the journey through this uh, episode much more than I did the previous one. Although I'm sure this is a red herring, the whole thing about the deacon, how he's looking so obviously. And the cliffhanger here is we see the deacon. There are two cliffhangers, right? So the one cliffhanger mm. is Mare is, is busted by her chief. Oof, I love that scene, too, where he takes her outside and is like, I know what you did. I know you tried to pin these drugs on your on Carrie and I'm going to save you, but you got to get your shit together. That is a great scene. I, I found the whole thing about the evidence room and her grabbing the hair. It's a bit ham handed because even in a small town police department, there's going to be more stringent checks in place. Yeah. There's going to be a camera. I would think. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 know. I mean, so, so that part of it was like, come on. And, but as I think about it, I can certainly understand how blinded she is by her mm-hmm. resentment and real animus towards the mother of her grandchild, mm-hmm. right? That she would undertake to do that and not think it all the way through. Right, right. You know what I mean? But, yeah. But the, the nuts and bolts of it, it just was too convenient for her to be able to do that. Because the chief, like, well, he, he, yeah, he, did, he clocked it immediately. He clocked it immediately, and he could tell that the logs mm. had been altered. I, but, I do but you think know what me about that was why that's an old case. Why would you even alter the logs? He said, you know, somebody moved it from six, uh, 64 to 62. Like, who's going to go back and count those? And they would just describe it to an error anyway, but nonetheless, mm. he knew that she knew what that was. I was so naive that I didn't know even know what she was taking. I, I thought they were drugs, but then I think mm-hmm. she had them in, she had them and she picked them up or she looked down and they were in a purse or something, which was at the bar after Zabel left. And I thought it was some sort of 
stress drug or something. I thought, oh, she's gonna, she feels, she feels the need to take something to chill out. That's what mm-hmm. that's what I thought it was, and it wasn't until the chief turned up Me that too. I realised actually what it was, and I went, "Oh, that's what it was, right?" Okay. Right. I think the cool thing about Kate Wins's performance is that you can see that she thinks that she's justified, that she thinks that there is no way Carrie is not going to relapse, there is no way that she's going to be able to take care of this kid anyway, and that that's I feel like that she's hiding behind that. Um, so we see, what do we already say? We see the deacon throw away her bike. And I just know just from, you know, it's, it is hard to write a good m- murder mystery. It's hard, right? You got to find a new way to tell an old, old story. But I know that he did not kill her. Yeah. I, w- I would just bet, I would just mm. bet a million bazillion dollars that the deacon who is throwing away her pink cruiser into the, into the drink didn't kill her. And I've got, you know, I think I know who did it in my mind, but it just seems so obvious, but it's okay. It, it's super hard to write a good See, one. But that's a th- so here's the thing. So I know we know that the next episode is going to be about the year long disappearance. Mm. I didn't watch the preview. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, th- so I think we're going to f- discover like, okay, is there a connection between mm-hmm. these two crimes? I don't 80, think, yeah. yeah, I don't think that there is just based on like going back for one and two and three, I think it's her cousin. Me too. The priest. That's, that's who I think it is too. And I mean, I think- say, unless there's unless there's more information that gets divulged later, which of course there probably will be. Yeah, and mm. I think the I, deacon is trying to cover for him or trying to help him. Bingo. Cover it up. That's yeah. that's yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. It's like it can't be the deacon, but why would the deacon? What's the motivation for the deacon to throw the bike off? He has to be covering up for for the offender, right? And just to rewind a little bit while we're on the deacon, that when they go and interview him and, you know, Mayor's uh, cousin Zinger about, oh, yeah, I guess he's here to, to re, re-enlist mm-hmm. or whatever the word is, but that that interview with the deacon is intentionally it makes him look creepy and brian yeah. like you said you know, back in ep2 it's like well you can't you can't reveal the killer in ep2 right but one thing that just you know the way that as you both know and listeners the way my mind works he handed uh mayor says can i have your phone and he says sure he hands it over and she says what's the passcode and he says 4852 so the first thing I had to do was stop and because I'm not religious at all. I'm trying to Google Corinthians 4852, you know, <laughs> Psalm 48, whatever. I don't know what the significance is of this PIN number and I maybe there, there never will be one and there's nothing to it, but I was instantly suspicious of that and I'm like, God damn it, what does that mean? I want to know why he uses that number. Well, and the fact that they, they go to the cousin's house to interview him Knocking on the door, she's calling him, no answer, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They go back to her truck and we see somebody looking from the window through mm-hmm, the curtain mm-hmm. and it's the deacon. Yeah. At the cousin's house. Oh, I thought that was just the rectory, like where the priests live. Maybe, but they were, uh, I don't know. I couldn't yeah. quite well, certainly tell he, the location. The deacon didn't sure. come to the, even if the cousin wasn't home, the deacon didn't come down and say, oh, hi, what's yeah, going yeah. on? I love that when you mentioned when she took um, the deacon's cell phone, there was such a Columbo moment where they were on their way out the door. I know. But one more, just one more thing. Can I? That's got to be a homage. (laughs) He's got to be taking the piss. As soon as I I actually laughed at that point, I was like, come on. Yeah. All she needs to 
the raincoat, right. right? Well, to wrap it up here, you know, I so many of the writers that I knew on Crumble Minds, you know, they would just beat their brains out trying to come up with good new ways of telling these stories. And they're very aware that we're so savvy. And we would they would do this thing like create a character called the unschmuck where it was like the red herring guy that's supposed to look guilty but not really guilty but then audiences got savvy to that so they had to do almost like a double and triple reverse so the writer of this episode may know that we (laughs) the writer knows that we think they want us to think that the deacon's guilty so Mm -hmm. he might really be guilty because we're not mm. supposed to think that he's guilty because yeah. it's so obvious mm. that he's, I don't know. I mean, you mm. kind of. Uh, exactly. I know. Play a lot okay. of my the old, the old switcheroo. The old mm. switcheroo. Yep. So just before we wrap up, there's a couple of other things that I just wanted to tick off on these eps before we forget. And that mm-hmm. was since it was so uh, going back to the accusation that Frank was the father of the child, why would Aaron's best friend, Jess, say that? Right. So that may be that when it's so easily unprovable, I wondered about that. And I also wondered why Mayor deleted the security footage on Mrs. Carroll's, you know, system. I was like, this guy's obviously a little douchebag. The the next door neighbor is a shithead. Why would he do that? And by the way, do you guys know what Evan Peters is up for, what he's doing next, what he's working on right now? Is it some superhero Marvel thing? No, he's um, for Ryan Murphy, Mm -hmm. who had him in. He's worked um, with him. So, yeah, he's worked with him a bunch of yeah, times. Yeah, he's he's playing Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, I think oh, I did Jay. know that. Yeah. I think I did know that. Wah, wah. Uh, okay, yeah. so what was the, as we wrap up episode three, what was the name of this episode? Do you remember? Oh, I I wrote it down and then I don't it's know where called, I. It's called Fathers. No, that's, that's number two. two. That's episode two. Oh, is sorry, that was fathers. two. Oh, sorry, that was two. Fa- uh, fathers. Uh, okay, sorry. Fathers w- it was the name of episode two, and the whole story is just a series of fathers, right? It's mm-hmm. like with the, the conclusion of series three, uh, episode three, where the chief goes in and says to um, Mayor, you know, badge and gun, and she opens a drawer and there's the photos of her dad, and mm-hmm. she's got to take the gun and the badge out, and and all of the fathers, you know, whether it's Dylan uh, and and his little baby son, and mm-hmm. the way that Brian, you alluded to Dylan's parents, they seem to be out of a different town almost. They're the only almost decent Mid- middle class, <laughs> kind of balanced, upper middle class. And then Guy Pierce, Guy Pierce is a father too. I mean, there is a right. lot of of yeah. things with fathers, and it is interesting. And and most of, if not all, of the mother relationships are dysfunctional as well, right? Mares is dysfunctional with her daughter, so it's sort of a this whole thing's got a parental thing. But I also feel with Mare, she loved her dad, but he's gone. She loved her son, who mm-hmm. may have hated her, but she, but he's gone. Her marriage is gone. She's about to lose her grandson. She's stuck with a cranky mum who she hates. She's emotionally stunted by the grief of losing him. Uh, she's losing, as we see, she's losing um, her daughter Siobhan's respect and love because of the way mm-hmm. that she was behaving, you know, with Frank and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then at, at the end of this ep, we've been spoiling, it's no um, surprise to say that she's busted for planning evidence and her career is now on the line. So it's it's just... You know, her whole life's going to shit, and because I don't know much about this, I'm going. It almost feels like we're one app away from the end of the series, but we're in we're in three of seven. But the other thing is that religion, you know, with the deacon and her cousin, 
is sort of seems to come into it as well because the the town is a fairly Catholic, old school kind of town. And peeking ahead, the final episode of the show is called Sacrament. Ooh. And I'm like, hmm. Hmm, interesting. Well, uh, anything else you guys? Oh, go ahead. Just one thing. This is the last thing I want to say. The, the One of the scenes that I was most struck by was the shouting match between Mare and her mom. Mm, mm-hmm. Right? That, fuck you. No, fuck you. I, I mean, it was so visceral. Like, it, there was no, no, there was no artifice. There was no yeah. artifice to it. It was just like, really, there is, there is a... I really do think that the creator of the show, the writer, I think he's really capturing well this part of the world. I mean, it's all an illusion. It's all fiction. But I think that there are authentic voices that are being captured. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really, which makes the journey uh, manageable, even with the moments where we go, uh, yeah, yeah. There's enough happening where you just go, this, there's the air of authenticity here that, yeah, the relationship. Really yeah, uncomfortable to watch. And the yeah, for me, it's all about these relationships because, as I keep saying, I've seen a million versions of this story. So the right. relationships are what I'm really focusing on, and I, I just love the journey. Well, yay! Thanks for doing that with me, guys. Anything else you guys are watching that you want to recommend besides Mayor of Easton? I uh, this is a little bit of a, uh, a crossover here. I'm just reminding myself. Bear with me, uh, but I'm about to start watching um, Alan versus Farrow, which of course. Lisa, you guys are covering over on um, ACP. Mm-hmm. Uh, on R- ACP. R- That's R- something yeah. else here. <laughs> it's a different acronym I know. Uh, on RCP. What else? Oh, I was inspired to um, look for, uh, after we did Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, to check out Get On Up, which was the biopic that uh, on, on James Brown. That, that Chadwick that, Boseman um, starred as. as yeah. That. Oh, yeah, good for I, you. I, looked, I saw the short for that, and that looked really good. So cool. I'll be checking that out. Great. Bye-bye. Anything? I, I, I fell into a Band of Brothers hole. Oh. Uh, I mean, oh, I, I, could, every, I could do that monthly. Every couple of years. Uh, it's really it's really intense to, to watch more than once a year. But because I've got HBO Max now, I don't know what made me start watching it, but I, I started with, with the first episode. And I mean, it's 20 years old mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. still holds up yeah. in a way. I mean, it, it is a remarkable piece of, of filmmaking. It, the storytelling is phenomenal. The performances are phenomenal. And okay. this is the first miniseries or series that I've seen on HBO where we don't have this operatic credit opening. Right? I was just mm. thinking about opening credits. It's so funny. You're reading my mind. I was like, they're really kind of going by the wayside. <laughs> you know, well, so no, many like, are cold Game opens. Of, <laughs> Game of Thrones had it. Band of yeah. Brothers, of course. Like they're, I mean, True Detective had it. Like they have these really fantastic openings typically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a show where mm. they're just like, there's none of that. The simplicity of it, I think, is intentional. It's by design. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, there was um, Six Feet Under had one. There was a, a production company in, in LA came. They pretty much owned all that. So the op- I don't know if you remember the opening credits for Six Feet Under where it's a they're closing close up on all the chemicals and the bottles and the jars and it's all very quiet and cool. But, but yeah, I think that first episode was called Curahee, was it not? Curahee, yeah. So that's the training training camp yeah all right beast thank you so much for helping me break this down and thank you all for listening this is killer casting signing out
Killer Casting was created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Sound editing by Dean Laffin from Real World Productions. Logo art by April Laffin. Theme music provided by Amphibious Zoo Music. And Big Fat Opinions provided by Brian Allen Hill.